My name is Brett Sweet. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Christian Fellowship, where we exist to glorify God through gospel-centered worship, evangelism, discipleship, and community. I've been gone on study leave the last several weeks, and I am so excited to be back with all of you. Very encouraged to go to other places, but I am so happy to be here with all of you. We are in a series through the book of Psalms, the first 10 Psalms. Uh, during the summer, we're going to be in Psalm 7 today. Um, Psalm 7, so if you're in Bibles up to there, we're in, on, uh, in the Black Pew Bibles, that's page 420, 420 in the Black Pew Bibles, page 450 in the blue ones. Uh, so next week we will have Psalm 9, and then the week after Psalm 10, it will be done. I preached Psalm 8 several weeks ago. Let me pray. So, so far in our service, we have had announcements telling you things about the body of our church. We've prayed, we've spoken to God through our singing. Andy has led us wonderfully, as well as Kelly, David, and everybody else. And now we get to listen to God speak to us. So let's ask Him to do that. Lord, we pray You would speak through Your Word. We pray that Jesus would be the center of all that we do. We pray He would be the great hero Pray that you would help me help these people. Help me to love them by speaking the truth and and helping them see you as you are. And I confess that what I'm asked to do is impossible. I cannot show them who you are or what you are like in my own power. So we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit. He would transform us from the inside out. That he would open this word to us. And we would be reminded that those who put their faith in you will not be put to shame. We ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Andrew Collins was a police officer in Benton Harbor, Michigan. He was an ambitious police officer and he was following up on a tip from the Drug Enforcement Administration about a suspected drug dealer uh, in the area. At the same time, Jamil uh, McGee was on his way, stopped at a gas station to meet his son, his newborn son, for the very first time. Officer Collins sees McGee, thinks that he fits the description of the assailant, and arrests him. Officer Collins, Andrew Collins, was not a righteous man. When the DEA says, uh, you've got the wrong guy, this isn't the guy we're talking about. Officer Collins basically framed him, planted drugs on Jamil McGee, and falsified police reports. So McGee went to the trial without ever getting to meet his newborn son. Now in this climate, let me just qualify things for a second. As the grandson of a police officer who took a bullet in the line of duty, I am all for supporting the police. They can be, when they are on the righteous side of the law, Obeying the law, they are a refuge to people. They are a refuge to law-abiding citizens. But Jamil McGee was falsely accused. The law, which should have celebrated the truth and been a refuge to him, betrayed him. Jamil McGee was not perfect, but he was innocent of those charges. He needed to take refuge somewhere, but he couldn't with the police officers. He was falsely accused. Now, regarding false accusations, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon has said, if God was slandered in Eden, where there was no sin before that, we 
shall surely be maligned in this land of sinners. Basically saying, if you live where there's sinners, you will be falsely accused. Have you been falsely accused something? Maybe by a sibling. No, she hit me first. Maybe, maybe by a spouse. Maybe by a colleague. Maybe you've just been misunderstood and misrepresented. You quit partying and now all your old friends say, oh, you think you're better than us, don't you? But you don't. They refuse to listen. Perhaps you have been like McGee, accused of a crime you didn't commit. That's happened to me. Probably happened to you. Early Christians were falsely accused of opposing the empire because they refused to worship the emperor. They said that they were uh, rioters and, and all kinds of horrible names. Christians today are falsely accused of not loving their neighbors, of being intolerant or hateful or behind the times. Where do you go for refuge when you're falsely accused? Well, it's, we have a model of that in Psalm chapter 7. For generations, going back to the book of Judges, there's been some animosity between two tribes, the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. And that has been like magma underneath the surface. But when the Benjamite king Saul is removed and David rises to his place, there's an eruption between these two tribes. And so what we see here in the superscription of Psalm 7 before verse 1, is that someone from the tribe of Benjamin, Cush, we don't know anything about him, is accusing David falsely, saying he's done something that he hasn't done. And God the Holy Spirit has used that circumstance to tell us how to respond when we are falsely accused. And it says this, take refuge in the righteous God. Take refuge in the righteous God. When you can't take refuge in the law, your family, your friends, take refuge in the righteous God. You will look for refuge somewhere. You will look for a safe place. Who will really help you? So Psalm 7 is going to unpack two big ideas that we'll look at. The first is we want to look at our need for refuge. Our need for refuge. Specifically as God to be our refuge. And second, we're going to see that God will certainly show His righteousness. God will certainly show His righteousness. I'm so excited to sing with all of you that I think I'm going to lose my voice. <clears throat> God will certainly show His righteousness. So our need for God to be our refuge. That's the first thing we're going to look at. Our need for God to be our refuge. We are needy people. The world can come crashing down in a second. Quickly. Where do we see our need for God to be our refuge. We first see our need for God to be our refuge because we need God because only He can save us from our enemies. That's the first aspect. Only God can save us from our enemies. We need God to save us from our enemies. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. O Lord my God, in You do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest, like a lion, they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. Now David saw lions up close. He saw them kill animals around him. Probably killed his own sheep when he was a shepherd. Now I have never seen lions kill other animals, but I've got the next best thing. 
YouTube. So I got on YouTube and said, I want to know what this is like to see lions kill. And so I found this video of lions uh, killing a zebra. And it wasn't pleasant. What's interesting is that the lions, they sneak up kind of close and they hunt together. There's always more than one, you know, in a pride of lions. But then sooner or later they get close enough that they've got to make a break for it. They've got to come out of the shadows. And so the zebras, they know, they know they are being pursued. They know it. And so there's panic. So what are they doing? They're running and they're bobbing and weaving and they're looking for refuge anywhere they can go. But then sooner or later, one of them isn't fast enough. One of them is caught. And, and a lion, usually what ends up happening is a lion sinks its, its mouth around the throat of, in this case, a zebra, usually either to make it bleed out or to suffocate it. But here's the thing. The other lions, they don't wait necessarily for the zebra to die. They just dig in while it's still alive tearing it apart, rending it in pieces, we see in verse 2. The same is often true for us with our enemies. Sometimes we have enemies. And often there's more than one. And, often, and usually, though, their claws and their teeth are words trying to harm us. They're, they can be heartless and brutal. We need someone to save us. We need someone to deliver us. And no one really can in those circumstances except God alone. This passage tell us, tells us that we need God to be our refuge because humans cannot. None can deliver except God alone. So take refuge in the righteous God this morning. Our need for God is great. We need Him to be our refuge. We need God to save us from our enemies, but there's more where we see our need for God to save us. We need God because only He can bring justice. We need God because only He can bring justice. God alone can bring justice. So we need God to bring justice. We see this in verses 3 through 5. O Lord, my God, look with me there, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. And let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. David knew God. Says, my God, there. Verse 1 and verse 3. And that's my prayer for all of you. That you would actually know God. So that you can talk to Him this way. Ask Him for help. Now, David knew he was a sinner and knew that he had no, uh, no standing before God for, as far as saving righteousness. He knew he, didn't, he wasn't perfect enough to save himself or good enough for God to just accept him. But he did know that in this particular case, with whatever's going on, he was innocent. So what does he do? He proclaims his innocence. He's looking to God for justice. So he proclaims his innocence and he needed God to bring justice. And notice, he's not trying to get out of something that he's guilty of, like so many of us. So many of us do the wrong thing, and we're like trying to cover it up so we don't get in trouble. David's done the right thing, and he's saying, hey, if I've done anything wrong, 
come after me. And he even says here, he's willing to have his, the, his glory laid in the dust. With David as king, he's probably saying, take the crown from me if I've done something wrong. Now that's very much the opposite of Officer Collins who cared about his badge more than the truth, more than justice. Our culture cares about justice because we see that even in the best systems, sometimes it fails. Sometimes mistakes are made. So only a person of perfect justice can provide the refuge we need. And that person is, is God alone. Now the Lord Jesus Christ, who is this David's far-off grandson, according to the flesh, knows what it's like to be falsely accused. He knows what it's like to see a bad trial and result in a conviction that's unjust. He, so if you're here and you're feeling like, man, the way my boss is treating me, the way my uh, extended family is treating me, this, there, there's no justice for me. Nobody believes the truth. Jesus does. He can relate to you. And He knows your need for justice. And amazingly, the Bible tells us He's the one who's going to bring it. So our need for God to be our refuge is great. We need God to save us from our enemies. We need God to bring justice. But there's a third way we see our need for God to be our refuge. We need God because only He sees the heart. We need God because only He sees the heart. And this is obviously connected to justice. Look with me, verses 6-11, through 11, as we see how God sees the heart. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it, return on high. The Lord judges the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts. O righteous God, my shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. God is able to test and read minds and heart. He's the only one. God is able to save the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge. There will be times in our lives where you will see people seemingly do the right thing, such as arrest a suspected drug dealer, for the wrong reasons. because They want to advance in the department. And there will be times in this life where people will do the right thing, or excuse me, what, what appears to be the wrong thing for the right reasons. Where you go out and you do something for that person you love and they say, where were you? You promised you'd be back by this hour. What are you really up to? And you are out trying to do something kind for them. God, in those moments, you need to trust in the, the righteous God because He sees the heart. He sees the heart. So when people refuse to listen or understand, so when, the, when the boss has you on the chopping block and it seems like there's nothing you can do, God sees your heart. 
When the neighbors you love call you hateful or intolerant because you want God's best for them, God sees your heart. He sees the heart. So remember that. No human can do that. So take refuge in the only one who can see the heart. Take refuge in the righteous God. Do you feel your need for God this morning? Maybe you're here and you've been looking to all sorts of places for refuge. Money, job, status, religion. And you're finding that they've all failed you. Well, then you're in a very good place. Because you can only ever take refuge in one place. When there's a storm, you can only be in one place for refuge. You can't be in multiple ones at once. So when all the other refuges have been taken away, come to the only God who can provide refuge for you. He's the only one who can really bring justice, who can really save you from your enemies. Christians in Afghanistan are feeling their need. Let's pray for them. Many of them, no doubt, will be treated unjustly. But God sees them. God cares for them. Jamil McGee felt his need for a refuge. But when he went to trial, it was like it was almost a false trial. His, his statement was basically, it was like the jury didn't even leave the room. They, they, as soon as the last juror left, it was like, hey, in the hallway, we all, he's guilty, right? Okay, let's go back in and tell him. So he goes to jail, guilty, imprisoned, never got to see his newborn son. So when your family member or whomever won't listen to your defense, remember, God is your refuge. You can take refuge in the righteous God, but those moments where you see your need are actually helpful. All right, this this passage, Psalm 7, is telling us to take refuge in the righteous God. We've looked at our need for God to be our refuge. Now let's turn to the second main point. And this wonderful truth. God will certainly show His righteousness. God will certainly show His righteousness. David is basically pronouncing this to us. That that righteousness is out there and God will certainly show it. So there's always in this world injustice and unrighteousness on display. We turn on the news. We see it. We talk to our friends and family members. We hear about it. We want to see it. We want to see it. Some of us want so bad just to see the right things done. Well, God's going to display His righteousness. Let's examine first that God will show His righteous anger. God will show His righteous anger. It's always good to pay attention to things in the Bible that you would not expect, at least what our culture would not expect. And the reason for that is because we need to make sure we're not manufacturing a God of our own ideas, but actually listening to what He proclaims Himself to be like. Let's listen to this aspect that God will show His righteous anger. Just look at verse 6 and 11. Just, we're not going to dwell on this too long, but I want to point it out to you. Verse 6. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Then down to verse 11. There's all kinds of challenges with translation here, but the, the best manuscripts and purest translation is really this one. God is a righteous judge. 
and a God who feels indignation every day. We're told that God has righteous anger, that it exists. And the psalmist, really controlled by the Holy Spirit, is saying that's a good thing. It's good, and we know that too, don't we? We don't want a God who sees evil and just doesn't care. Just, oh yeah. Doing terrible things to young girls in Southeast Asia, but I'm God. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not allowed to, to care for that. No, there's righteous anger. It's good. But notice and keep in mind here this, that David is in a unique situation as king. He knows that he's bringing God's kingdom. It's part of his job. And so his enemies who oppose that kingdom are God's enemies. So when he's asking God to get angry, what he's asking God to get angry about is those that oppose God's kingdom. What do you get angry about? See, God has righteous anger. So many times we're angry about people opposing our kingdom. How dare you show up late to this dinner? Now it's cold. How dare you cut in front of me in traffic? Don't you know these streets were made for me? But see, the only ways we should be getting angry as Christians is when we see God's kingdom being, being resisted and thwarted. God has righteous anger. And that's a good thing. So God will certainly show his righteousness. God will show his righteous anger. But let's also notice that God will show his righteous retribution. God will show his righteous retribution. Again, a, a challenging thing for us to think about. But if God is really speaking here, we ha I have to say what he says. God will show his righteous retribution. Look with me at verses 12 through 16. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull, his violence descends. We're told here that there's a courtroom. And God is a judge. For those who don't repent, He's not just a judge on a bench, like we picture Judge Judy or whatever, Perry Mason. This judge actually has weaponry. So imagine for a second you're on trial and there's the judge and you're trying to make your case and, and you, keep having, you keep getting interrupted because the judge has one of those old-timey like Beverly Hillbillies uh, wheat grinding wheels and he's sharpening the sword. Just hear sparks flying, loud noises. Are, uh, uh, and then he puts that away for a second and then you start making your case and he reaches under the bench and pulls out bows and arrow, bow and arrow, aims it at you. Nah, you know, that's not quite good enough. Lights the tip of the arrow on fire. Pretty harsh, it seems like. But notice the context. Notice the context. Verse 12. If a man does not repent, 
we're told that the person who resists God's purposes burns God's love for him, does not repent, refuses, continues to hold on to their sins. We see that they are not really innocent. This picture of pregnancy, it's been great to come back after a month. See a number of you ladies have grown um, in the last month. That's exciting for me. We see that there's these babies coming. Well, that's what the evil people are like. They're not going to give birth to a little image bearer. They're, gonna, they're pregnant with lies and mischief. They've got pits and traps. They're not unarmed. They've got weaponry of their own. But here's the wonderful thing about God's righteous retribution. All those weapons of the evil, they turn into boomerangs. They throw them at God or at His enemies. And they come back on them. We saw that when we preached through Esther. Haman hanged on his own gallows. God will show His righteous retribution if a man does not repent. Now it's very interesting that David would say this. Because what he's saying is there's a way out. The Holy Spirit is saying there's a way out. If a man does not repent. So David wants his enemies to repent. So should Christians. So does God. God calls us to repent. Have you repented today? Do you turn from making Something else, your refuge, which means you're treating it like you're God. Maybe it's uh, a future spouse or uh, good grades or whatever. Comfort. And have you put your, have you turned to God and made Him alone your refuge? That's what repentance looks like. If you haven't, you're asking God to treat you this way. You're asking Him to point weapons at you. And this is a challenging picture of God for us. Basically, weapons ready for execution. But when you take refuge in God, notice that God holds something else besides weaponry. Look at verse 10. My shield is with God. My shield is with God. So Jesus Christ is the righteous judge. We're told in the end of the Bible, He's coming back with something like a giant sword coming out of his mouth. Retribution. Treating people exactly the way they deserve to be treated. It seems. Punishing those who won't repent. It's then where we see the fullness of righteous retribution. But I proclaim to you the good news this morning. That not only is Jesus a righteous judge who brings retribution and has deadly weaponry, He is also a shield for you this morning. He's a shield. When you turn to Him, He becomes a refuge for Him, for you. The falsely accused Jesus went to the cross. He experienced something much worse than a pit that was dug for you and I. Much worse than a trap. Our sins fashioned a cross. Rough wood, nails in Jesus. And He was innocent. He suffered. Why? He did that so that He could become a shield for you and I. What we deserve is weaponry pointed at us. But Jesus says, listen, I have the weaponry, but I also am your shield. So instead of 
being down there opposed to me, come behind me. Follow me. Let me protect you. Let me be your shield. He did that. He satisfied the debt of our sins. So the retribution doesn't come upon us. Really, it fell on Him if you put your faith in Jesus. Do that this morning. And I want you to notice that without the cross, there is no refuge. There's no refuge for us. Because if Jesus doesn't come to die in our place, save us by grace alone instead of by works, then we're always going to be hostile to God. He'll never be a refuge for us. He'll always be an enemy. But because of the cross, we now have a shield and a refuge. And it's Jesus. So turn away from your sins today. And that's not just for unbelievers. That's for all of us who are Christians again today. To turn again today. Be reminded again today that Jesus is our shield. He's our refuge. That we take refuge in Him. Not in our righteousness, but in Him. So we need God to be our refuge. We're looking at how He's going to reveal His righteousness with certainty. He's going to reveal His righteous anger. He's going to reveal His righteous retribution. And now, lastly, let's notice something. God's righteousness leads to rejoicing. God's righteousness leads to rejoicing. If you look back at verse 1, the superscription, we're told that David sang this to the Lord. And then verse 17, look with me there. I will give thanks to the Lord. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. And I will sing praise to the name of the Lord, the Most High. God's righteousness is a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing. David knew this. We don't, and here's a really interesting thing about this specific situation where David is being falsely accused. We don't know if David received justice in this life. We don't know that. Maybe the charges just continued to fly at him. But David knew something. He knew that God is righteous could be a refuge who could be trusted. And we need to hear that today. God's righteousness should cause us to rejoice. And what that means is if God is bringing righteousness, we don't need to bring it by force. Okay? It's not our job to, you know, your neighbor maybe cuts down your tree and your property. There are recourses. Proclaim your innocence. Go th- make an argument. That's why it's good for there to be Christian lawyers. And they say, hey, like, I want to be <laughs> reimbursed for the, the cost of planting a new apple tree. But you don't need to go over to his house start cutting down his trees. God is righteous. He sees the heart. He knows what's going on. But how do we take refuge in God? How do we do that? We do that by trusting that he is righteous. We do that by saying, I don't know what's going on all the time, but God does. And he's going to take care of me. And what that means for a lot of us, both men, but often women, means giving up control of some things. If God is going to be our shelter in the storm, 
we've got to put away our own umbrellas and just get under the shelter. Quit claiming that we've got it taken care of. We have to take refuge in Him. And by knowing that God is righteous and celebrating that, singing about it as we were this morning, what that means is something remarkable that this world has never seen, really. Clarity. We see, people will see that Christians can actually lose their homes. Christians can actually lose their job. Take advantage of legal means to get them back, etc., but can still rejoice in God's righteousness. Remarkable thing. You can still recognize, even if someone like the Taliban were to come here, through all the worst imaginable suffering, we could still rejoice in a righteous God, even in an unrighteous world. Willing to lose everything. Recognize He's a harbor in the midst of a storm. He's our shield when we're under attack. Well, I mentioned previously, I forgot to mention when I talked about weaponry being turned into boomerangs and, and God, uh, righteous retribution, mischief returning upon their own heads. That's what happened to Officer Collins. Andrew Collins no longer was an officer. They, he was arrested, convicted of falsifying police reports. His own, his own uh, weaponry basically was turned back on him. He was no longer Officer Andrew Collins. He was just an inmate with a number. And Jamil McGee and others were exonerated when the truth came out. But God was up to something with both Mr. McGee and Mr. Collins throughout all of this. God proved to be their refuge, the refuge to them both. They both finally saw their need for a Savior. They both realized that only God could care for them. Officer Collins was facing a judge with rep weaponry pointed at him. But something remarkable happened. God changed him. He repented. God became his shield. And so years later, Officer Collins is trying to be a repentant man. He's, he's back in Benton Harbor and he's trying to make things right with certain people that he had wronged. And he's in a crowded park, a, kind of a community celebration, and he sees Jamil McGee across the park. And Mr. McGee sees him. And he starts making his way towards Collins. Collins looks to his friend and says, hey, I don't know what's going to happen here. Uh, would you just be aware? And he recognized he deserved, he had sinned against Mr. McGee, and he deserved to be experience pain for it. Mr. McGee comes up, shakes Collins' hands and says, do you know who I am? He says, yeah, I know who you are. He says, I want you to explain to my son where I was the first three years of his life. And so began a really long, difficult, challenging story that resulted in friendship resulted in forgiveness, resulted in reconciliation. Why? Because both of them found that they had taken refuge in the same place. A person. God. They were in the same place. I submit to you the only way the conflicts of this world are going to be resolved is through Jesus. That's how it worked for them. They both trusted that all the evil Collins had committed was dealt with 
by a righteous God. Jesus Christ on the cross dying for him. And so they have since worked to, to work together to bring righteousness in our world. And that's what we should do too. Defend the innocent, even if they might be our enemies. Celebrate the truth. Speak about God's righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage. We're thankful that you are a righteous God. That's worth celebrating. So we rejoice in that. We rejoice, Father, that you are a refuge. You know how we need it. We need it today. Help us to turn this morning from seeking refuge in ourselves or in others and find it only in you. Help us this week to care about those who are falsely accused. To seek, to seek justice in our society without compromising your truth and your holiness and your righteousness. Help us to be a people who are transformed and are quick to love one another and be shaped. Lord, help this church to be a church that is a refuge. And we know that the only way that's going to happen is by pointing to you as our eternal refuge. In Jesus' name, amen.